Uh, we're going to talk about why you would even join a church. Why is church membership important? Why is being a part of a church important? Let me uh, kind of talk to you. We're in kind of a, a weird place just on the calendar because we finished up our masterpiece series last week and if you've been here a while or you've been a part of First Baptist or um, have visited at all, you know that we generally like to do things in series and so we, we walk through a series of messages and uh, we have two weeks until uh, Thanksgiving, we have this week and next week, and then after Thanksgiving, um, we have a special guest on the last Sunday of the month, and then we are full-blown into Christmas. Isn't that crazy to think that, that Thanksgiving is almost here a week and a half um, away, and then we're into Christmas thinking and talking and preaching and all of that. And so we had a couple of weeks that were kind of here. By the way, when you come in next Sunday for worship, Christmas will already be on display, because the sanctuary is getting decorated tonight. They're breaking the whole don't do anything before Thanksgiving rule. And I guess that's okay because we have this really cool women's event on Friday night. And so if you're a woman and you're here for, and you don't have your ticket to the women's event, make sure you do that. But we're going to be in that. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to take a couple of topics. And this week specifically, we're going to talk about why join a church. And it's really, um, this is one of those topics that didn't even need to exist probably 50 years ago. Like, I don't... I don't ever remember my pastor doing a sermon on why do you even need to wonder about joining a church. You just, you just did. You have to think about it. It wasn't, it wasn't a topic of the day. But a lot has shifted in our culture over the last 50 years to the point that people see church membership in the same way they see membership in any kind of club. And ask the question, is it necessary? Is it even something that we need to worry about? We as a society have commitment issues. Have you ever heard somebody talk about that in a relationship? Like, usually it's about who? The, the guy, right? He just has commitment issues. That's the guy that, you know, dates a girl for eight years and thinks, we'll talk about getting married someday. Like, someday was five years ago, pal. Let's go. Come on. Right? Commitment issues, all right? And so as a culture, we have that. We don't like to commit our lives or ourselves to anything. We like to be free. We like to be able to choose. We like to be able to kind of be out there. We don't have to worry about being tied down to any place. And so we're going to talk today um, about why you should join a church. And let me just tell you kind of some of the things that's behind this. Behind it is a realization that we are in a culture and a country where we are losing ground rapidly when it comes to the number of people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, So I have a few statistics for you. This is from Tom Rainer, who's president of LifeWay and does research. And so if you were born before 1947, anybody here want to admit that? Anybody want to admit? I was not. Anybody? We got a couple. All right. Born before 1947 in our culture, in our country, um, this is called some of the greatest generation or the generation after the greatest generation, all of that. But before 1947, people born before 1947, if you were an American citizen and you live today even, 68% of those identify themselves as believers in Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. That's two out of three, right? You might know what the next generation is. It's the boomers, all right? So the boomers were born from 1947 to 1964. How many boomers we got here in the... We got some boomers, right? Now, why are they called the boomers? It's because they were so loud? Is that what it was? Voices boomed. That, whether that applies particularly to anybody in this room or not, what's the, what's the reason they were called boomers? Why were they called boomers? Because they had lots of babies, right? I mean, they, there were lots of babies. In fact... 
Um, the boomers are the largest, when they were born, they were the largest generation that the America had ever seen. The most kids born in this time frame. Now, here's, there's a real good reason for that. Anybody remember what happened in the 19, mid-1940s? Kind of a big event. What was that? World War II, right? And so, World War II, the percentage of... You know, as a pastor, sometimes you think about sensitive ways to say things, and you just... You just say it, all right? So the... The percentage of childbearing men that were serving in the armed forces during World War II was very high. And when World War II ended, they came home and reacquainted themselves with their wives. Amen. (laughs) Apparently well and apparently often. And it's the largest generation in the history of America, all right? But notice this, all right? Hey, Lydia, for, um, we're going to, as we go through the next ones, we're going to hold off the percentages for, as we walk through, okay? Just a little note that I didn't give her. Boomers, people that profess to be believers in Jesus, 35. Anybody know what the next generation is before we put it up? No, we never got, y'all want to skip the greatest generation ever born. Y'all jump into the millennials. There, there's somebody in between the millennials. Gen X, thank you. Kathy Decker, I was born, you know. So from 1965, 64, 65 to 1976, there were the Gen Xers, 1980, the Gen Xers, right? That's my generation. How many Xers we got out there, right? And so um, we are the ones in the childbearing ages now. We've had our kids or having kids. Um, and uh, the Gen Xers were kind of... At first, talked about this apathetic group that you really care about a whole lot, but are now the people running the country. Amen. Um, and so, lots of tech giants and tech gurus are are Gen Xers and came along in that that place. But it was a low group. All right. Here's what changed: 1972, Roe v. Wade, contraception was. Um, developed and permitted for the first time in America in the 60s and 70s. Sexual revolution happened and said we, it's not about families, it's not about kids, it's just about freedom and expression of love. And so the birth rate went down, and so did the percentage of Christians. So they're 26%. So you go from two-thirds to one-third to one-fourth. This is trends, Okay. Now, who's next after the Xers? Let's get to the one everybody wants to talk about, apparently. Who's next? Millennials, all right? How many of you here were born after 1980? All right? You are, look at that. In the first service, we had three. Look at that. He's got lots of millennials here, all right? So, millennials are born 1980. Here's why they're called the millennials. They didn't really have a good name for them. They were called the Bridger generation. They were called because they bridged the gap to the 21st century. They were called lots of things. But here's an interesting thing that happened in 1980. The the birth rate had been declining, 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 declining. In 1980, the birth rate spiked. Nobody really understood why. And went way up. And it stayed way up for the next 25 years. So that the boomers are no longer the largest generation in the history of America. The millennials are. There are more millennials. People born between 1980 and 2000 is the kind of cutoff point. All right. And so I know we got some youth like my son who was born after 2000. And we haven't named their generation yet. We're still figuring them out. All right. 
but the 1980 to 2000 are the millennials. And if you, if you try, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there about this group of kids. They're crazy, all right? How to reach them, how to get to them, how to, what they want, what they don't want, how they live, you know. Lots of trends happening out there, but this is a trend. So we see this, all right, before we put it up, anyone want to guess? Here it is. Awesome. There are that many less, all right? Now here's what. You can usually make statistics say whatever you want them to say. Right? It, it's hard to make this positive at all. 68. Two-thirds to one-third to one-fourth to three out of 20. And you think, well, what in the world happened? Well, lots of cultural things that happened in the 1960s. And we talked about that in some in previous sermons. But one of the things that happened in this time frame, 80s, 90s, and today is our culture shifted on the heels of the 1960s to where we didn't trust organizations and institutions and we enjoyed our freedom more and we moved out of agricultural societies into industrial urban societies where we had many more choices of what we wanted to do with our lives. And more and more frequently, people chose not to give their lives to Christ, not to commit their lives to church, not to worry about going. And what we see is not only a level of percentage of people that say they're believers descending, but the percentage of believers who consider themselves committed to the local church has drastically gone down with each generation as well. And the level of commitment has drastically gone down from each generation as well. In fact, if you were part of this group that was born before 1940s, I think about my grandparents, um, Gramps and Granny Larson. Granny Larson, Gramps and Granny Nell on the Edward side, on my mom's side. They were, you were at church when the doors were open, no excuses, every week regardless. That's three times a week at least. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Okay? And then as you went to the next generations, it was, you know what, we go on Sunday morning and that's, you know, we do as best we can. We get there on Sunday morning and that's good. And the really good Christians went on Wednesday night and Sunday nights. There used to be this thing, when I started in ministry, that meant all the way back 15 years ago. And I did full-time ministry. There used to be this thing they said that, that people that love um, the church will come on Sunday morning. People that love the pastor will come on Wednesday night. People that love Jesus will come on Sunday night. Right? We've gotten to the point now, we don't even have those services. I had somebody one other day say to me, well, I'd love to have a really good Sunday night service. I said, that would not bother me at all. Do you know why we stopped having Sunday night stuff? And nobody came. We sat in a staff meeting one day and I said, hey, we did Sunday night Bible studies and I had four. I've spent, we've, all of us, I had three, I had two, weren't coming. Well, we, we gave our time on Sunday morning. And as the commitment level went down, imagine this, people thought the church was less important. As the commitment went down, so did the feeling of importance. Now, I don't think that's coincidental. And churches had to start, like, suddenly change in how they talked about, think through it. Um, people started having to do other kinds of things. And so parachurch organizations started thriving and growing among youth and among uh, young people. Uh, Samaritan's Purse, great organization. We, we, Samaritan's Purse does great work. It's a parachurch organization that came up because churches didn't have the commitment they needed to do what was needed to happen. World vision, compassion, young life. These are great organizations, but they're not church. 
They're parachurch. They're on the, para literally means beside the church. They come alongside the church. Tom Rainer says this. He says that the reason that we don't have great membership is because we don't expect great membership. Membership means nothing because we expect nothing. I'll never forget. I've been pastoring here just a few months um, and went to the uh, Southern Baptist Convention in Indianapolis, Indiana. And many of you probably don't know how Southern Baptist Convention works, but you go to the convention and you're a messenger from your church. And so we can have up to 10 messengers from our church that go to the convention. Being a messenger means you get to vote in business meeting. It just, you're representing your church. So I go representing our church and I get there and I'm so excited about being there for my first Southern Baptist Convention as the pastor of First Baptist Goodlettsville, Tennessee, that I forget the card that I have to have with me that proves that I'm from First Baptist Goodlettsville and lets me be a messenger for the church. And so I walk up and we had voted on his church. Joyce, our secretary, Joyce Osborne at the time had signed it. I get up there and I go, <laughs> crazy thing, I don't have the card. What do I need to do? And they said, oh, we just need to verify that you're truly a member of First Baptist Goodlettsville. And my first thought was, are there really that many people that come and lie about that kind of thing at the Southern Baptist? I am a member. Ooh, we found out you are not. And so they need to verify. So they said, all right, we need to ask you some questions. First question, how many members do you have at your church? I was like, members? I don't, I don't have a clue. I mean, we got, like, we had 375 there on Sunday. I mean, is that, do you got that record in there? No, no, no. So she asked me like three or four other questions, verified, gave me the blue check that I was the pastor and messenger. And I said, just by the way, how many members do we have? Just curious, what do you all have on record? She said, we show here you have 2,161 members. I said, can you get me a list of all of those people, like, (laughs) right now? Jokes around the pastors that day, still around, is that we have members in our churches that the FBI cannot find, right? Like, and we just have them on roll, they're just there. If they all showed up one Sunday, I don't have a clue what we would do, Right? Worship at the pavilion for half of you. Go on. Anybody want to lead out there? And as we've come to this place where we don't expect and members don't expect church to really have an impact on their lives, it becomes something that becomes take it or leave it. It's okay. Yeah, I just don't, I, you know, I had a little, little something with my stomach last night. Probably something I ate, but we'll just, we'll just stay home. Oh, we had a we had a late night. You know that show downtown we went to. That was a late night. We, we we won't worry about getting up in the morning. Oh, we got we got ball practice this afternoon. Yeah, I know. I wish they wouldn't schedule on Sundays, but they did. So, oh, we're going out of town for four out of the next six weeks. Just just stuff that we we get to do. We we excited about. Pastor, I, I, you you won't see me for a little bit. We'll be back, though. Don't worry. We'll be back. We just got this thing that over the next, over the next uh, 28 weeks, we're doing travel baseball. We won't be able to be there. So we'll see you in the winter. Just a little side note, by the way. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's like, um, if you've got kids, love them, have fun with them. There's like a 99.9999% chance they're not going to play professional sports. I don't know if y'all know that. I know that you think your kid is the point. Oh, 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 one, so did I, and I ended up being a 5'10", slow, white guy, and so that did not happen in any way, okay? So, 
You just have a society. Christian society. Now, I'm not talking about society at large. I'm talking about people that say that they're followers of Jesus. That have suddenly decided that they'd rather give attention to a point zero 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 one percent chance over the spiritual development of their kids. And then we wonder why the kids of the next generation aren't interested in Christianity. I want to be at a place where we expect our membership to be the membership of the church that God has called together here and now. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. We're going to kind of be all over the place today. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, great. If you've got you go on the phone and you can get there quickly, you can, you can kind of go there. I do encourage you to take notes somewhere, to write on somewhere, just some of this stuff. I'm going to give you three reasons today that you ought to join a church and three reasons that you shouldn't. Okay? The first thing I want you to see, just, just look at 1 John 2, 19. This is an interesting thing. All right, real quick, who wrote 1 John? It's a hard question here. John, there you go, good job. John wrote 1 John. John, who the beloved disciple, Jesus' inner circle, perhaps Jesus' innermost of the inner circle. Jesus uh, turns over the care of his mother at the cross to John. That's who wrote this letter. John's writing this to the church. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not for us, of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it may become plain, that they're all not of us. You got that? A lot of of us, not of us. Here's what he's saying here. Okay? There was this group of people that came and said they were believers in Jesus Christ. They said they walked alongside of us in the church. But then they left and it proved to us that they weren't committed to the church, which means they didn't have a relationship with Christ. Here's what John is saying. I want you to hear this clearly, okay? Because he's not saying that you have to be a member of a church to be saved. But he is saying that in order to demonstrate your salvation, one of the marks of demonstrating your salvation is that you're an active part of a church. Okay? So being a part of First Baptist Goodsville never saved anybody. Amen? we got four or five Baptists out there. All right? Being a part of this, having your name on this roll, just because we have 2,161 on the membership roll, we don't have that many right now, by the way. We purged a few. All right? I mean, we called. You want to be a member anymore? You haven't been here in 12 years? No, that's fine. All right. I've been pastoring here eight years. There are people that still on our role that I have never met or seen. I would not call them an active member of First Baptist Goodlettsville. Are you all okay with that definition? Like, you haven't been here in eight years? Okay. What John is saying is, is listen, that being a part of First Baptist Goodlettsville, having your name on the row, doesn't mean that we got 2,161 people that are saved on that role. Being a part of that role doesn't make you saved at all. I hope that when all of them join, they got to ask questions about salvation. Or if they got quit, or you saved, tell me about your salvation experience. I hope that happened because we don't want to accept people that aren't saved. But it doesn't guarantee anything. But it does show when you're committed to a local church. Now, listen to me. This is, this is vitally important. When you're committed, by committed I mean that you say I'm a part and that you are a part and that you participate. That shows evidence of being saved. And if church is something you can take or leave that you happen upon every now and then, that is something that is the 18th priority on your weekend, then you need to check whether or not you actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because being a follower of Jesus Christ means that everything in your life has been turned upside down. The way you relate to your spouse, the way you relate to your children, the way you relate to the world, the way you relate to the enemies that we face in global terrorism changes because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it also changes your schedule, your priorities, and what's important to you. Now, I'm not telling you this because I want you to come to my church or I want you to come to this church. I believe this so sincerely that I would tell you it doesn't matter if it's this church. You need to find a church where there's Bible-believing, Bible-preaching that is doing the work of God and be a part of it in order not to prove that you are saved, but it's just the natural outflow of obedience to that. John says they left us, they didn't want to be part of us anymore, and it proved to us when they didn't want to be part of the church that they never were part of us in the first place. So three reasons, real quickly, all right? We're going to go fast through these, all right? First thing, the reason you need to make sure you're a member of a church is this. Church membership is biblical. Now, I'm going to tell you right from the front, I'm going to tell you that, and then I'm going to give you kind of what sounds contradictory, but let me explain. There is no single verse in the Bible I can point you to where it says, go join a church. There's not one. But can I tell you something else? There's also not a section of Scripture or a verse of Scripture that argues for the existence of God. Do you realize that in Scripture? Scripture never says, let me give you a 14-point analysis of how we know God exists. It just what? Assumes God exists. Right? What's Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. And it doesn't have a parenthesis and say, see footnote for how we know God exists. Right? It just assumes God exists. In the New Testament, there's never a verse that says, go join a church. But from the time that the New Testament church forms in Acts, chapter 2, Peter's sermon, until the end of the book of Revelation, it's assumed if you're a part of the family of Jesus Christ, you're part of a local church. Now what do you mean it's assumed? I mean that the New Testament is about the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit through the church and through local churches. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. What comes next? What comes after that? Besides just, I mean, I know y'all can quote the New Testament to me. Romans, 1 Corinthians, all that. But what are Romans through Revelation? What are those? They're letters to where? Churches. Philippians is a letter to the church where? These are going to be really hard questions, by the way, all right? Philippi, right? Corinthians is a letter to the church where? In Corinthia. Oh, there's no Corinth. Corinth, all right? (laughs) Of course. Even when you get to Revelation, guess what Revelation is? It's a letter to what? Seven churches. Throughout the New Testament, we just see churches that are doing the work of God, and that's the way God chose to do it. In fact, one of the most interesting things to me about this is the proof that we have in Scripture that the church was the method that God used to do things. You look even at um, Antioch, okay? You don't now, don't go look at that whole thing, but in Acts chapter 13, the story of Antioch and the church at Antioch and Paul's sermon at Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas are sent out by Antioch to go do missionary work. Here's what's interesting about that to me. Paul is kind of like the guy that you wouldn't think would need a church's approval to go do missions. Right? He kind of met Jesus on the road. Blinded, new man, completely different. And yet Antioch is the church that sends Paul out. And says, here, go start. What did Paul do on his mission work? He did what? He started churches. 
even when he writes to Romans, if you look at Romans 16, again, you don't have to turn there, but Romans 16, which is the thing that all of us just kind of pass over because it's just Paul giving a bunch of greetings. But what's interesting to me is he knows people personally in that church and he talks about them. He talks about Pris- Prisca and Aquila. He talks about um, Eponidas, the, the first convert to Christ from Asia. Mary and Andronicus and, and Plidia. And by the way, if you're looking for good baby names sometime, there are like 20 in this passage. Rufus. Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, Philogus, and Julia, Nereus, and Olympus. There are two things that stand out about this. Two things that really stand out about this passage to me. First of all, is just how many people Paul knew personally in those churches. And secondly, the diversity of the names. Greeks, Asians, Africans, all in a church. And there's one area that the American church has been most guilty It is in the lack of diversity in our churches. Biblical church membership is attaching yourself with a group of people to do the work of God. Here's the second reason. Not only is church membership biblical, but it is practical. It is, as I said earlier, the way God has chosen to impact the world for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's practical. Church is a benefit to the community to your family, and to the world. I mean, you need church. Now, I'm just thinking about my own life and how big of an impact church has had on my life. When I was um, growing up, we were, we were members of the church, and we were the Sunday morning crowd for a little while. That's all we did Sunday morning, some Wednesday nights when the children stuff. And I just remember that, that when the Lord kind of got a hold of my life in seventh grade and really started to work on my heart and, and transform me into following Him more closely, that I had a church family, my family as well, but a church family that just wrapped their arms around me. Uh, when I gave my life to full-time Christian ministry, when I said, this is what God's going to do, is the summer before my ninth grade year. And it was like I suddenly inherited like 400 grandparents in the faith. They just loved that on me. They, they talked to me. They wanted me to preach on Sunday morning sometimes. I preached on Sunday morning as a 16-year-old, and my sermon was eight minutes. And they thought it was the greatest sermon that had ever been preached. Now, they, they really did like it being short. They told me that. But they acted like, man, that is unbelievable. It was not unbelievable. It was terrible. It was eight minutes of horror. And you're like, now you've just taken that to 35. But it was bad. Okay? But they loved on me, encouraged me. I still, I was a member of First Baptist Church, and I went longer. You understand that that I didn't join the church until I was saved at nine. So I was a member of First Baptist Church about nine years total. I've been gone from Dyersburg for 21 years. And I still get Facebook messages and notes from the people at First Dyersburg telling me how proud they are. I see, I, I was walking through Green Hills Mall the other day. I had to go to the Apple store for a repair thing. And walking through Green Hills Mall, and a youth, one of the youth chaperones from when I was in youth group, walked up and I saw her at a distance. I was like, Miss Mary, what's going on? And she was just so encouraging in that moment. I follow you on Facebook. I'm so excited, so proud of you. I get notes. I listen to this sermon this week. God is using you. I'm so thankful that, you, that I know you and so proud of our Dyersburg boy. They don't realize I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, like 40 now. Not, it's a compliment. I think about my own kids. And just to see them 
be actively a part of what's happening here. This morning, um, I don't know if any of you other parents experienced this, but um, we cannot get our kids out of bed very easily on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then they're up before us on Saturday and Sunday. Anybody ever experienced that? And when I say before us, like before the time we wake them up for school, they are up. And so this morning we had trifecta. We had Ava, Maddie walking through the house at 6 o'clock. Anybody up? Where is everybody? Like in bed is where everybody is. Right? Ava, Maddie, who woke up Luke, and they're all ready to go at 10 after 6. Like, down for breakfast, Daddy, let's go. And I'm trying to get ready to come to church. I try to get here. I usually try to get here before they get up. Um, so Susan has to deal with all that. No. And so, as they're in the kitchen, Maddie and Luke are talking about what they're going to build on Minecraft next. All right? Now, if you don't know what Minecraft is, I don't know where you've been living for the last... Five years. It's all over the place. It's a computer game like Lego. They build different stuff. Built amazing buildings with it, all right? And so they're talking about what they're going to build. And, and Maddie and, and Luke almost the time goes, we could build a church. We haven't built a church in the town. That's great. So what do you think it needs to look like? And they're having this conversation on their own. And you want to guess what Maddie described? This. Almost exactly this church. The children's area and the preschool area. And she said, well, it needs to be a room over here that's got nursery in it and got like cribs in it for babies. But then over here needs to be a room where the three and four-year-olds can go. And then the ones that aren't babies yet can be. She described our church. Because to her, that's the mental image. And while that's cool, the coolest thing for me is to be sitting at the table with them. And we've started this tradition on the first or second Friday of November. We cook big Thanksgiving for just our family, just the six of us. And we do that Friday. And we do the, what are you thankful for going around? And, and, and just to hear, not just, I'm thankful for God, but to hear some deeper interaction with the things they're grateful for when it comes to following Jesus. From people that aren't following Jesus yet. It's that pre-evangelism. Maddie says, I'm thankful most for God. I love mommy and daddy, but God is first. That doesn't come in the world. She's not getting that at kindergarten. She's getting it because it's being put into her all the time. It's practical. And you need this. Man, we all go through stuff, but we need each other. And as the world becomes more and more hostile towards the Christian faith, and that's what those numbers suggest, we're going to need each other more than we've ever needed each other. I read a story this week of a pastor out in California named Greg Laurie, who's responsible for the Harvest Crusades, um, Harvest America Crusades and all of that. And he, he talked about, uh, several years ago now, he lost a teenage son in a car accident. That happened on the weekend, so Friday or Saturday. He was at church, his church, not preaching, but in church on Sunday morning. And he got up the next time he preached, he said, listen, people came up to me and said, I I can't believe your strength. Man, you are so strong. You're here. It's unbelievable. I I can't believe how strong you are. And he said, listen, he said, I didn't come to church that Sunday because I was strong. I came because I was weak and I needed my family. That's what church is supposed to be. Third thing, you're needed. You're needed. First Corinthians 12, you can look that up later too. I know we're flying through large portions of scripture. We've got a little bit we're going to put up here. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. By the way, again, the diversity here is mentioned. It's a part of being a part of a church. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And the idea for the rest of that chapter is that we all have a special part to play and every single member is needed to do the work together. Y'all know me, I sometimes find inspiration about these kind of things in the craziest places. And yesterday we were on the way to, um, I took the boys, we went to Knoxville, we went to the game, went to see Tennessee play the ridiculously hard opponent of North Texas who had not won but one game this year, right? So we were driving, and while we're driving, if you're driving by yourself with a boy that's 12 and a boy that's 9, you think of creative ways to spend three and a half hours in a car. And so they watched a movie, right? And this is the movie they watched while we, were, while we were working. I think we got a picture. There it is. All right? So Avengers, right? Biggest movie of the year, all this stuff. And what I found interesting in it is, I don't know if you know this or not, but the guy that directed it and, and helped write it, Josh, Josh Whedon, is an, an avowed atheist. He's not a believer in a God at all. But if you listen to the dialogue and you watch what happens, you see this longing for the things that Jesus answers. And we could go into lots of things. I know most of y'all don't watch a movie that way. Like, what is the spiritual implication of this battle scene with Hulk and the Hulkbuster that Iron Man is wearing? But I'm weird, all right? And so I'm listening to all this. But there's a main point that it's hard to miss that is in the midst of this. And that is that, that all these guys that are the bad guys in this movie, Ultron, that robot horde army, right, that is coming to attack Earth, are created because Iron Man thinks we can't defend the world on our own. So we got to have protection. And all these guys... How many of you have not seen this movie? Oh, goodness. Sorry, then i got to explain this. All right. So, all these guys turn on Earth and are coming to destroy Earth. They created it, and now it's coming to destroy them. And the whole time at the beginning, Captain America, the good guy, the guy that fears God in the movie, tells him, said, we could have done this together. And he's like, I didn't trust that we could do it together. So they get to the end of the movie. This army's attacking. These people are together through different circumstances. And one of them says, how are we going to do this? And Iron Man looks at him and says, like the old man said, if you don't know the comic books, he's old, like old. All right. He says, like the old man says, we're going to do this all together. As a team. And the whole point is, they all working together, we're going to have to defeat the enemy. Okay? we got to have every one of you. This sermon isn't just for people that are wondering, hey, do I need to join a church? This is for those of you that have been a member of this church for a long time. I talked to someone in the first service, been a member of the church for 69 years. That's a long time membership. I don't know if you know that or not. we got to have you. To do what God's called us to do, we have to have you. We need your part of the body operating efficiently. If you're here and you're not a part of a church, and you want to, and we want, we would love to have you be a part of this church, but we want you to be a part of this church if you're going to actively plug into doing what you're supposed to do. For too long, we've made membership sound like something. Oh, just come and don't worry about it. No, it's not no big deal. It is a huge deal. Because you are joining the body of Christ in this place. To make an eternal differences here in our nation and around the world. We need you. Three reasons to join. Let me give you three reasons not to real fast. This is where I get to bring my sarcastic stuff out a little bit. All right. Don't join if you don't believe in Jesus. Now it seems like why would you even need to say that? Listen, there was a time in the South when you didn't have to believe in Jesus to join a church. People joined the church all the time even without believing in Jesus. Now why did they join the church? Why would you even do that? Because you needed business contacts. You just want to be part of something. 
Here at First Baptist, there's no reason for you to be a part of our church if you don't believe in Jesus Christ is the only answer to salvation. But if you do, if you believe in Jesus, you need to be part of a church. Secondly, don't join if you don't want to make an eternal difference. If you just want to kind of live life, have fun, eat, drink, be merry, and die, then you don't need to be part of a church. Because we're here to do something special. Eternally. And lastly, don't join if you'll never need spiritual help. If you don't think there's ever a moment in your life when difficulty is going to come, the death of a loved one, the problem with a child, you don't think you'll ever need spiritual help, then don't join. Just take it on your own. But my guess is most of you in this room believe in Jesus Christ or at least have, are open to the idea. Most of you in this room know that at some point you're going to need spiritual help and most of us in this room want to leave something and do something that's significant beyond ourselves. And if so, you need to be part of a church. I'd love for it to be this church, but only if you're willing to do what God calls you to do here. Let's pray.